Hello, and welcome to Zero Net 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney, and with me is Joel Stronberg. Hi, Joel. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, so it's a significant day for the climate. Uh, Ides of March, you've been following the growing youth movement in the courts. What do you think about what's happening in the streets today? I think it's great, actually. And it may it may be the thing that ultimately tips the balance if they stay at it long enough. Um, it's kind of amazing to think that you know, it started with, with one 16-year-old um, young woman standing before the Swedish legislature. And today, I mean, there, there are hundreds of thousands of students uh, out there demanding a future that is a lot cleaner than it's, it's going to be if people don't take action. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know, did you see anything uh, about any U.S.-based students? Um, you know, I, I haven't, um, although they're predicting this will be somewhere on the order of 24, 25 demonstrations today. Uh-huh. Um, to uh-huh. be honest with you, I, I, I checked earlier this morning that the results are coming in from Europe. And, um, I guess Berlin, in Berlin, there was something like uh, 25,000 students and their parents uh, standing out in front of, uh, of their energy uh, office, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I saw um, a friend of mine shared a news story about Greta being nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. She certainly deserves it more than uh, Trump does. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, she should get it. I mean, this is really an example of what one one person can do. Um, yep. And it's, it's important for people to realize that uh, they're not as powerless as they sometimes think they are. Mm-hmm. And then I see other headlines that are talking about the protests and the students stepping up uh, and calling for for more action on climate because of what they and they use the word perceived inaction and mm. so you know that's how the headlines seek to um, debunk what it is that these students are trying to do and they use uh, the word perceived right and and we're we're, we're certainly seeing that on. Um, I mean, we've been seeing that with the Green New Deal here, for example, and you know, I've written a couple of times that um, it's really unfortunate to me that the, that perceived and, and qualifying words and you know, they're only kids um, and wait until they get to the real world sort of thing creeps yeah. into all of this because number one, to anybody of that generation, I, I know that you know when I was doing it in you know in my teens, early twenties and thirties, I resented it, and I'm sure that yeah. they resented it more now. And the other yeah. thing is that it's, it's, you know, if you if you have a better idea or if you have something substantive to defend your position with, great. But just, I mean, don't say because somebody's too short or too tall or too young um, that they don't have anything to contribute. Right. Well, I mean, those are just fallacies. That's the bottom line. Right. And, and I think that it, not only is it a fallacy, but what happens is that it's evidence that these people don't really have anything substantive to defend their positions with. So what they're doing is they're being reduced. And this is the way Trump does it. He gives everybody a nickname, um, thinking that, well, if I ridicule people, then people won't uh, really see that I don't have anything of substance to back up whatever I, whatever it was I just said. Right. All right. Well, uh, you mentioned the Green New Deal. I think it's good to uh, check in on that because we've been watching it closely. What's happening there this week? Well, a couple things are happening. Um, it appears as if uh, the majority leader uh, McConnell is going to try to schedule a vote um, for after they after when they come back from break, which will be on March 25th. 
Um, it's still unclear what the Democrats are going to do. Uh, it's been it's been talked about, and I think this is probably the preferred thing for the Democrats to do is to just simply vote present um, and then have any negative votes be all Republican. But they're still kind of duking that out on the Senate side. On the House side, I, I still don't believe that uh, uh, Pelosi will ever actually let this come to the floor. But what's happening is that the Republicans are really pushing on this pretty much for what we just talked about. Um, not so much to fact find or to, you know, to have a balanced debate, um, but for an opportunity to tell the world how socialistic and ridiculous and everything else is about the Green New Deal. Um, and so that's beginning to heat up. And, and again, I think the hotter the, the deniers get under the color, the more I'd like to think that um, they're worrying that maybe some of this message is actually getting through and that come the next election, people are going to vote on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the odd things that's happening in the House is that we're not actually hearing a lot about what the select committee is doing. Um, I know that uh, Castor, who is the chair of that committee, and um, uh, the, the, the Republican uh, minority uh, ranking minority member, have talked about this. Um, but they haven't really come out with any kind of a, a, an agenda. Um, Graves is from Louisiana. He actually has worked on environmental things before. I mean, he's defended coastline sorts of things, but he's not, he's certainly not um, uh, avid about protection of the environment. And it'll be interesting to see how that works out. While that's not being discussed, other things are. Um, for example, a new caucus has been made on the House side called the New Democrat caucus, and they're f- focusing on the Green New Deal. What they're focusing on is middle-of-the-road stuff, and they've already been begun to announce that their agenda is going to be to look at pieces, um, various pieces of what's, what's needed to be done, and come out with some kind of, a, of an outline based on what they call um, greater realities as, as far as politics and, and, and what have you are concerned. Um, I am suspicious that maybe Speaker Pelosi is kind of pushing them forward because the Democrats, I mean, they're, they're more split now about whether or not you can really continue supporting the Green New Deal um, and not get caught up in this kind of name calling. Whereas um, if you begin to split some of the things apart, then what happens perhaps is that uh, people start to kind of see how this would unfold. And it, it, in some sense, the Green New Deal has never really presented this very well, and it's allowed the opposition to kind of um, point to the to the to the most revolutionary, to the things that had the biggest uh, culture change involved with them, and the least amount of chances um, of actually being passed at any time in the uh, in the near term. Um, so, uh, I guess the way what what we should be looking for is probably another week or ten days of some quiet, and then. Uh, said when, when Congress comes back in for the for the couple of weeks before the Easter break, we'll be able to see a lot more. Um, in the meantime, hearings are going on with various committees and things, and, and so um, environment's not off the stage on this. And I think that in some ways, taking the heat of the New Deal, um, the, the heat of the rhetoric out of it, uh, may actually be a, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I uh, was listening to news about Beto O'Rourke. Uh, putting himself in the ring for the 2020 election. And uh, someone asked him, of course, about the Green New Deal. And uh, he played the line and, and supported it. So I thought that was interesting for his stance 
it is. And, and actually, um, I mean, most of it, I, I certainly have never been witness to this many presidential um, hopefuls all yeah. speaking about the environment and climate change. Um, right. There have been some articles out lately that get on, on O'Rourke um, with the title of Is He Green Enough? And, mm. and this is something that's going to keep coming up. Uh, and there, there are levels, there are degrees of green, and mm-hmm. um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think that the fear internally to the Democratic Party is that um, you have to be really, really, really green um, for these younger activists to not only support you, but to show up at the polling places on election day and pulling the levers. So um, again, this is going to be, it'll it'll be interesting to see what messages resonate most and where, um, because I think it'll tell us a lot about the future. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, of course, uh, no, we can go by without too, too many things happening to watch, but let's touch on uh, Trump's budget and it had some noteworthy inputs, right? Oh, it has. I mean, it's and 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 true to form, uh, the White House uh, came out with a, a proposed budget that um, cuts the Department of Energy's energy program, renewable energy and energy efficiency programs, mm-hmm. by about seventy percent. Um, which I mean, I, I don't think they could probably pay personnel problem or personnel uh, salaries right. on what what Trump has actually proposed. They've cut 30-some percent off of the environmental uh, budget at EPA. Um, they've also done rollbacks of substantial amounts of funding to the Department of Interior and everything. I think the way this is going to work out is, is the way that it has usually worked out, which means that Congress is going to be incapable of actually putting out um, appropriations bills, uh, and we'll just kind of do this continuing resolution, in which case what will happen is what always happens, and that's, at least it's always happened in the last decade, anyway, mm-hmm. um, is that last year's budget becomes this year's budget. Um, right. And so things will go apace. The problem that I always see with this, though, is that certainly the White House is, is, has staked out its its position on this. They don't I mean they do not want this stuff um, interfering with their support of the fossil fuel industries and what have you. And so even though DOE gets money or even though EPA gets money or the Department of Interior gets money, having the money and getting it out the door are two very, very different things. And under the best of circumstances, it can be hard to get money out the door for, you know, through the bureaucracy. These are not the best of circumstances. And I mean, I've seen this done before, um, and I've seen it done firsthand, where, where whoever is in office, when they don't agree with what the budget tells them to do, they just slow it down so long. And what happens is it never gets done in the year that it's supposed to be done. And then what happens is that the Office of Management and Budget comes around and grabs up all that money uh, and rolls it over into the next year. So I think that I think that the the the, the bottom line number is going to be just what it's always been. Uh, and the thing for us to watch and for others to watch as well is to see how much of that money actually gets processed. Um, not necessarily for what it's for what it was. Uh, scheduled to just, just process to even get out the door. And um, especially in, in anticipation of the election, Trump is never going to relent on uh, allowing his programs to go forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At least not easily, right? Right. Well, I mean, so, you know, in the next year and a half, really, that's the, that's the double line under everything is the, the election's coming and so-and-so is not going to do this or that to jeopardize their position. 
So it's yeah, a, that's right. It's going to be a really interesting time. I I don't know if it might be better if I just close my ears and eyes for the next fourteen months or or what? Because right. the last time right. I played, I paid too much close attention and it almost ruined me. Well, you know, there, there there's a lot to be said for that strategy, and I mean. And my guess is you wake up 14 months later and it's still being <laughs> talked about just like it was before you went to sleep. Yeah, exactly. So, well, uh, let's take a minute then and bust out to the world stage because uh, that's where I was watching this week uh, what was going on in Nairobi at the fourth session of the UN Environment Assembly. The International Resource Panel, panel released the Global Resources Outlook 2019 which is a report that brings into focus the theme of the assembly, which is formed under this campaign that they're calling Solve Different. You, you can go to Twitter and see hashtag Solve Different and lots of stories tweeted out underneath that campaign. Uh, it calls for innovative solutions to use resources more efficiently and build what we're calling the circular economy where humans are living within their resource capacity instead of basically stripping it. Um, but the report looks specifically at resource extraction, population growth, and GDP through 2060. Um, you know, we hear a lot about making progress in the next 12 years or having a no a zero emissions by 2050. So this goes a little bit further than that, um, and it's basically a wish list for this circular economy. And it notes that for 50 years, the world has seen no stabilization, stabilization or decline in resource extraction. Um, and in fact, recently, extraction is accelerating, so that's even more alarming. And they look at what this rate of increase would develop into as a historical trend and what we can do to stop that acceleration, so to bring about reductions and have some benefits on the side, certainly to human well-being. So the the report specifically builds out policy packages for the circular economy and the extraction and processing of natural resources results in all the observed biodiversity loss, water stress, and climate change impacts. And they're looking at resources such as fossil fuels, biomass, metals, non-metallic minerals, those sorts of things. Um, And while fossil fuels are... In, according to the report, um, they account for 10% of the global climate change impacts. Biomass is worse at 17%. Um, but the, I just want to stop and look at that biomass resource issue just for a second because it continues to crop up. Uh, there was a story I heard um, about a report from the NRDC about toilet paper and they're they're concerned that the biggest producers of toilet paper for the U.S. market, they use no recycled content for their products. And uh, they use virgin wood pulp to make their products really soft because that's how Americans want it. And they're essentially stripping the largest forest on the earth to do it, which is Canada's boreal region. Uh, and that covers basically 60% of the country. <clears throat> and... Uh, the report says that the U.S. has the highest per capita, uh, capita use um, of toilet paper at three rolls per week. Germany and the U.K. are close behind. Um, but the stats are showing that they're causing deforestation at a rate of, <clears throat> what they're saying, is seven hockey rinks per minute, which yeah. I thought was an interesting way to put it. 
Um, but then the industry claps back and says, no, that's just not the case. Canada has retained its uh, like 90% of its original forest cover and has almost no deforestation because they have a replanting plan. And they say that they're replanting at a rate of a thousand trees per minute. So it's this back and forth of what, you know, what their perception is of how, how deforestation is working or not working. Um, but really the association is not happy with the NRDC for proposing that they use this uh, alternative wood fire sources that they claim are more carbon intensive. And that goes down <clears throat> that, you know, that supply chain of carbon tra tracking where it comes from and how it all all ends up and tallies at the end. It's, it's a long and difficult process, so we have to track that. Uh, but anyway, uh, looking, yeah, go ahead. Well, as you said, the biomass biomass is a problem generally, and not, I mean, not just because forests are being knocked down, but um, and but because no government is actually they've never really sat down and kind of indicated what is good biomass practice and what is bad biomass. Mm -hmm. practice. And I mean, what happens here, for example, is that, um, you know, a lot of the UK power is generated by wood chips. Well, right. they get, they would get their wood chips from the United States. And, mm -hmm. um, I mean, they don't factor any of that in, and there's no real guarantee that the companies providing directs the, the wood chips in England are doing this in any kind of sustainable way. And there's, there's no, there's no established measure of, yeah, for trees, I mean, things put, put, um, back into the soil, but it gets taken out so much more rapidly than it ever gets put back right. in. It, um, right. the, you get in all kinds of weird things. And in fact, I just saw today that uh, Bruce Westerman from Arkansas um, mm -hmm. just wrote an editorial, and he's Republican, um, about how biomass, especially wood stuff, um, needs to be considered more as a renewable. And, I, mm -hmm. and you know, there, there's so many conflicting pieces about this that when you get into other policies and you don't settle the biomass question, mm -hmm. then you don't know whether what you've just done is good or if it's bad. And I think the other pressure that's going on is that, you know, you, you get um, uh, populist governments, the new one in, in Brazil, for example, um, has clearly put agriculture um, way ahead of preservation of the Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. And so they're losing, I mean, in addition to the occurring she just talked about, there are going to be some at least football stadiums um, being knocked down in Brazil because they 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 want more uh, rangelands for for cattle. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's take a look back at this report. Uh, it it's always in the report looking at this sustainable future, um, and it says that that requires societies to decouple basically their natural resource use and impacts from economic activity, which is, you know, because they're always moving in tandem and they want to see them move independently. Uh, and the historical scenario aligned in the report in terms of emissions is pretty stark. It says greenhouse gas emissions, uh, if we don't do anything for these uh, issues, increases by 43% uh, by 2060. And they make a case for a four-pronged approach to building this circular economy. And, and those prongs are, for example, um, policies on resource efficiency, policies on climate mitigation, um, landscape and uh, biodiversity protection, and then also 
healthy diets and reduced food waste, which we've heard quite a bit more about recently, These the idea that a healthy diet is going to help our environment. And I'll get back to that. But I, I just wanted to highlight one of the climate mitigation policy proposals, and it's one that we're familiar with, carbon tax, or as they call it, a levy in the report. But you know, they are looking and proposing something that is is established on a global scale. And they say it should be spread out evenly all around the world. And I, I think that's a pretty big ask, don't you? Uh, I do. I mean, and actually, it makes the Green New Deal look more uh, uh, unconscionable, if that's the word. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I mean it's, you know, it's unfortunate that it's so hard to get things done one country at a time. But trying to get right. all of these countries, it's really a... It may be a step or two too far at the moment. And yeah. I mean, just look at the Paris Agreement right. to understand the fact that, I mean, even, even those that sign on the bottom line aren't mm-hmm. making good on their promises. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to imagine in my mind anything that we've done successfully as a world on the whole. Right. <laughs> and, well, that, yeah. ha- right? Having no good examples makes this seem so far-fetched. It does. I mean, and I think that it's not that it's not what needs to be done. It's just that mm-hmm. um, when you just put it out there as that and don't, yep. I think, explain how you might get there, um, you know, given certain circumstances, that, that people yep. just tend to write it off as it's nice but it's impossible and yep. um, then go about their business. And this is this is a problem. And the Green New Deal um, here is going to be, I mean, it's, its biggest opposition I think over the next 18 months is going to be just what you talked about, and that's a carbon tax. Yeah. Um, and you can see the the, the lines are being formed um, of the combatants, and uh, I think that I think what's going to happen is that the Green New Deal is going to have to either defend itself for having a carbon tax or defend itself for not having a carbon tax, and that's where you get right. some conflicts. I mean, in the under the rubric of socialism. Um, what happens with some of these, with some of the really progressive um, activists is that they don't want a program that, in fact, works within a capitalistic system. Um, and my answer to that is just what your answer is to the getting all the world, the countries together. Good luck with that. I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, another policy of note in the report is a... Uh, what they call a resource extraction tax. And the U.S. has this in the form of what we call a severance tax, the same thing in the fossil fuel industry. It's pretty much ubiquitous across the extraction-heavy states. Um, And then I saw one analysis that uh, says percentage-wise, for every percent increase in the severance tax, there is a little less than a half percent decrease in drilling. So there is some downward pressure demonstrated from this kind of tax, and, and I appreciate it. But on the other hand, we we already have that. It's not a solution, I think, in and of itself, but maybe should be included, as as they say, in a poly, po- policy right. package. Um, but I really want to look at this fourth prong, the healthy diets and reduced food waste. Uh, there's a specific recommendation for reducing human consumption of meat which makes sense. The report says that upstream impacts of cattle meat, dairy products, and paddy rice production accounts for 60% of climate change impacts of biomass production. So, you know, they want to go after that large chunk, and that all makes sense. Um, and in the policy package, 
section of the report, I didn't see any mention of policy changes for this element of the movement. It does recommend uh, moving to educate people on the impacts of our current food systems, and and that's a a good place to start. Um, But like most movements for change, I can see the call to reduce meat consumption as a significant challenge, especially in the U.S., Uh, Sure, we've been moving towards vegetarianism for a long time, but let's face it, meat rules here. Um, And I've been studying this report all week, and then last night I saw a story pop up in my Facebook news feed shared by a pretty conservative friend of mine, and it caught my eye. It was called Taxing Red Meat Could Save the Planet, and it was by the Daily Mail. And note that the word meat was in all caps. I don't know why but it was. It was like, meat, you need to pay attention to this. Uh, But the Daily Mail story said that the UN's resources report, this one we're talking about, claims that taxes could encourage people toward a plant-based diet. But I honestly couldn't find anything in the report that made that specific claim about taxes. I haven't honestly read every word of it because it's pretty long, but it's a fascinating exercise to see how the report played out in headlines because taxing meat sounds so sensational and that headline was successful in pushing out into the mainstream and finding my feed and reaching that conservative person who's like, no way, you leave my meat alone. Uh, But that's the kind of sensationalism I absolutely expect to see come from a recommendation like, hey, let's all reduce our meat consumption and help our environment. And also, by the way, let's have a global tax on carbon. Um, but, yeah, go ahead. Oh, as you said, I mean, that's right. And, and, I mean, if I'm sure everybody's noticed, too, that um, one of the first things that the detractors of the Green New Deal said was, you know, no more hamburgers. And um, Right. <laughs> I mean, it's – I guess, I mean, people embrace their meat. I don't know Yep. Like they might right, but but the fact of the matter is that they do, and it's 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 interesting from a cultural perspective, mm-hmm. um, what people raise in response to not just the dire consequences of climate change, but to their own health. I mean, it's mm-hmm. um, I mean, meat can be bad for you in excess, like anything else. And, right. Uh, so taxing it is going to be. I mean, that will actually create revolution. Um, right. And I don't think that'll. It's certainly not going to happen in my life. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but but I think uh, the big big thinking like this report is is what it's all about, <clears throat> and it's why I think the report is a great insight into what people of the world could do to help the environment. But it's a long view, and I think maybe even longer than 2060, as you were just saying. Um, so it, it's still worth the read just to understand, you know, what this vision is, and certainly what is on the mind of the, you know, the folks at the UN environment. Um, well, we, we can come back around maybe for a few minutes. Uh, I think we have time to look back at our, our local issues, um, come back to the, the Democrats there in, in Washington. Apparently they are ramping up their promised investigations. And I was just curious what you've been hearing about what's going on there. Um, it, it, they are ramping up. I mean, the, the simple answer to that is yes. And I think that um, what we're seeing is um, kind of the inside of the Trump administration. And that's, that's clearly what, what the Democrats are, are hoping to, 
to be able to get information on it. One of the things that um, just occurred, for example, um, is that last year the um, the administration uh, kind of redid the uh, National Monument Lands map, um, if you remember, and this is yep. under Zinke. Uh, well, it turns out that in the case of Utah, um, which has several federal lands that they, that they began to, to shrink, um, that the inspector, there was an inspector general's report that the people in the Department of uh, Interior that had responsibility for mapping the reduced land masses, or the, mm-hmm. the reduced reduce the, uh, the park lands uh, sort of thing, were told directly to avoid any areas, to, to cut them out of the, uh, of the park lands, any areas that had um, fossil fuel uh, deposits there. Uh, it was such a blatant thing. You know, it, it's, it's a natural resource version of gerrymandering um, a, a congressional district. I mean, mm-hmm. they literally are going to try to get away with this. Now, now obviously, this is going to be a, it's going to be a court thing. Um, uh, no question about it. But the fact of the matter is that, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to start following the investigations and, and I'll be reporting on this um, more frequently these days because mm-hmm. not only, I mean, not only is there, I mean, is there a, just a, an issue of right and wrong here as far as the climate is concerned, um, but it also talks about what it's going to speak to is how this administration has kind of skewered all the information away from any kind of balanced discussion into um, a fossil fuel framework. This is this is what this is what he uh, Trump says he wants, and they've certainly been doing this. Mm-hmm. And it also goes back to you know you were talking about resource extraction taxes um, since day one of the Trump administration. They've actually been lowering um, the tax rates, and mm-hmm. they've got proposals out there now um, in which they want to lo- lower them to nothing. I mean, this is something they would like to try to get to. Um, and I think the other thing that we're seeing here is an, an interesting thing came up during a, a big meeting last week in, in Texas. But what the, the thing was that Shell Oil um, actually publicly stated that the administration should not do away with methane emission uh, standards. And this has to do with uh, extraction on federal lands. Mm-hmm. Um, when an oil company starts saying, you know, it's dangerous to the environment if you deregulate methane. That's a message that people should really kind of be taking to heart, and hopefully that, that others will as well, that, that this administration is in fact forcing the issue in such a way um, as to completely wreck any kind of uh, research-based, evidence-based policymaking. And okay. we're seeing that also in the, uh, at EPA. Um, if people remember, or if they don't, I'll tell them now. Um, Pruitt, the the past administrator, Scott Pruitt, mm-hmm. um, actually fired most of the uh, advisory board members in EPA, the, the science board members and what have you. And the way he did it was he said that anybody that has ever gotten federal funds can't be on these panels. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they have now is they, they loaded the panels with um, deniers and industry people. And the first glimpse of this we're getting is that um, one of their advisory committees is now going to launch a campaign to um, uh, roll back the fine particulate matter standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're coming out and saying the science on this is not, is not sure, that there's still, there's still 
there's still disputes and what have you. And they're even going so far as to say that the current standard, which is 2.5 microns, does not lead to respiratory problems, which is, I mean, uh, I don't know where they would find a study that would say that, right, but they're right. saying that. Um, and so what's going to happen is that this is the first step forward into saying, you know, any environmental re regulation that um, is, is, is a target to be retracted because our science guys say such and such. Mm -hmm. And he's doing this again with the national security issue we talked about last week. And so I think what we're going to see in these investigations is we're going to see how they're setting the stage for this. And um, this can become very, very important in court cases. You know, I'm sorry that the courts have to be the ones that actually decide what our environmental policy is, but mm -hmm. at least there's some kind of a check and balance there. And uh, I mean, they're so abusive that it's going to become apparent, not only to the courts, but to everybody else, um, that they're cooking the books as far as what harms people are being exposed to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can see why there is this growing concern that, you know, we're taking all these steps back instead of making forward steps towards things like, you know, the what's been promised in the Paris Agreement yeah. and this uh, alarming fear that, you know, not only are we not going to reach these goals, but we're not even going to come close. And that, you know, we're, we're just not hearing enough about, you know, where where we're going to make progress on the Paris Agreement. Well, that's right. And, and here, I mean, and I, we're, we're under a double whammy here with the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. um, because what happens is that they're going to be putting rules into place or they're going to be removing rules um, that can't be put back quickly because of, the, I mean, because of right. checks and balances. I mean, you have yep. the Administrative Procedures Act um, and you have to follow certain protocols. And there's no... There's no really getting around that. In fact, I, I, my article um, yesterday was on CAFE standards, on the auto efficiency standards. Yep. And this, this is a case where the industry, they wanted, they wanted some flexibility as far as efficiency standards are concerned. And they, they'd, they'd been complaining about how Obama got them to make promises that they, they really would rather not make now. But they never said that they wanted to undo the regulations or that they couldn't increase the mileage Flight, uh, you know, the um, fleet um, averages each year. They just they wanted flexibility. Well, what what they're getting is the administration is now trying to freeze uh, at a much lower level than I mean, it's a much lower level. I mean, like thirty percent below what what the existing standard is, and they're, mm -hmm. they're using the same kind of procedures. You know, RX would say such and such. Well, the auto industry is. It's really a little bit crazy about this because they want stability and certainty in the market. And now what the Trump administration has done with this is that they, they went so far as to um, guarantee that this is going to end up in the courts. And they're also looking to take away California's ability to set a more striving standard, which has been on the books since 1975. And so the chaos that's being created um, is now turning into a fear factor for the auto industry that actually had asked the, the Trump administration to look at these things. But their assumption was that they were going to look at them reasonably. And what they're getting is they're being looked at through a doctrinaire um, pair of eyeglasses. And so, I mean, Trump says he doesn't want regulations, and they're going to try to peel them back just as far as they can. And it's, even though that it's wrong and it's excessive, replacing, replacing a bad regulation with a new regulation is going to take 
at least two years from the time that the new regulation is even written. And so, I mean, not only is this putting us further behind in rules, it's putting us further behind in the queue just to get get rule, new rules on the books. Right. Yeah, that's alarming. All right. Well, uh, you know, I'm always curious what's on Joel's desktop, what's coming up, what are you watching? Well, investigations is, a, is right, it just came up to the top of my list. Um, yeah. And so I've been looking at that. Um, I also should be coming out. There have been a number of cases. Um, there's a new international uh, law case um, where France is being taken to court. Uh, Macron mm-hmm. is being taken to court for not doing enough um, to meet the Paris agreements. And we're mm-hmm. seeing a couple of more legislative or legal actions like this. So I was going to do a kind of an update now that the uh, court schedule is starting to settle down. Um, and I'll be following uh, the votes, especially. And I think that uh, the votes on the Green New Deal, if they come off on the Senate side and again on the House side, um, should be able to provide us with some real insights into how the Democrats are going to be going forward in, uh, over the next few months. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that was a uh, a long road for us to travel there today. I think we can wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Joel, for all of your insights you, today. Of course. Um, listeners can tweet us questions or comments at hashtag zero net 50 and have a good day. <laughs>